It's Tuesday, January 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday, gents. You too. Tuesday. Nice long weekend. Fresh off a three day. Three day weekend here in the U.S. for our international listeners. Uh, sorry, Not you didn't so get, much. sorry you didn't get Monday <laughs> off, but, uh, but we're back. Are your kids off school today? Yes. Yes, mine are too. Yep. They are uh, in. One of mine is. They're at school doing a. a after school program they have their normal but yeah it's just you have those extra days off and it's you gotta it's like you juggling all these different balls yeah what's this, what's the excuse uh, teacher preparing for oh, yeah. teacher work day. MLK right day and then they they sort of parlay their you know success there in the one day off and make it two and just well, why not? you know get to work and there you go maybe they get Friday off too. sure hey well they should <laughs> snow coming should. we're gonna dip into the full mailbag we're gonna start with some earnings though United Health. Fourth quarter revenue forty six and a half billion dollars. Profits came in at just north of one point two billion, which is higher than expected, although uh, lower than a year ago. But you know they beat expectations. It's all about expectations, and stock getting a little bump up today. Yeah, and I think that's you know, a good point that you mentioned there. And I mean this this is often at least in the short run, it's an expectations game. And and I think investors came into this quarter with probably some muted expectations, given the headlines we've seen recently. About United Health, you know, talking about closing down some of their programs because of the Affordable Health Care Act, because they weren't able to manage the costs on that side of things. I, I think you know, you saw certainly that politically speaking, I mean that that was uh, I think something that that politicians had a lot of fun using, um, but but the results speak for themselves. And I think when you when you're looking at the the healthcare sector, I mean it is a it's a sector where you, you've got a lot of people, you know. Trying, trying to get their their little share because there's so much money involved. I mean, it's 18, 18 to twenty percent of our national GDP, which is obviously very significant. But but United Healthcare is one of the biggest operators out there, and uh, they saw strong growth in the health services side of the business. The part of the business that's got, that's called Optum, uh, which focuses more on services, less on the insurance side, like United Healthcare does. And and that's interesting to note because Optum is the side that's really growing more quickly than 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 the insurance side. Uh, and, and operating profit-wise, it's more significant, or it's growing to be a more significant part of the business. So I think that's why uh, investors are are at least uh, you know optimistic as as far as these results go. They're now serving uh, 129 million people versus uh, 88 and a half million people a year ago. And and the the key to the Optum side of this business is it gives them a chance to control the costs better versus the insurance side, where they they have a little bit less say in that negotiation, so to speak. Uh, certainly, shareholders have won holding on to these shares the last five years. Shares have outperformed the market handily, um, and, and I think that typically when you're looking at this space, we we want to focus on the big dogs first, and this really is the big dog. Uh, yeah, we were talking Taylor right before we started taping here about how certainly it, it almost doesn't matter which industry you're looking at if you're just looking at sentiment and expectations heading into this earnings season. To borrow Jason's word, they muted. Mm-hmm. There are muted expectations, and uh, as you made the comment, uh, we could, we could be seeing a lot of red. <laughs> so, against a backdrop of those types of expectations, United Health putting up some pretty good numbers. Yeah, the market's certainly looking for reasons to sell these days, and didn't give them any. Even though there were some losses attributed to the Affordable Care Act, and they say that that could double in 2016. Um, Forty, I guess the optimism almost fifty percent of their business and growing like it was. It was able to right the ship and then some. Holiday retail numbers are starting to come in, 
And in the case of Tiffany, they're not looking good. Same store sales for the holiday season down five five percent. This stock, I mean, this used to be as steady a performer in its space as any out there, and today shares of Tiffany hitting a three-year low. Yeah, I think this is another example in support of the argument that when it comes to retail in general as an investment, I would never look at any real retail, um, with the exception of perhaps Amazon, but that's more than just retail, I'd say. is is I would never look at retail as just a straight-up buy and just hold it and just let it go investment. Because, I mean, these things kind of go in cycles, and there are certainly retailers uh, that are that are uh, you know more open to things like currency effects or or you know economic conditions perhaps. And, and so with Tiffany, I mean, this is not affordable luxury. This is straight up luxury, um, and and even more so, it's got you know fifty percent plus of their of their money is made from overseas, and so they they witness uh, you know some some serious headwinds here in the form of a stronger dollar. Uh, not to mention a crimped consumer, globally speaking, um, and and so that's sort of where this is is falling down for for t- Tiffany right now. I mean, you're not going to see Tiffany resort to Black Friday sales, to holiday liquidation sales. Um, they're going to kind of take their lumps as they come, and so this has been a pretty difficult holiday season for a lot of retailers, certainly for luxury retailers, and and so we're seeing that play out today. Now, and I think for investors. The thing to focus on with Tiffany really is one of its strengths is is a management team that's smart enough to go ahead and take their lumps and say, okay, listen, this is just going to be a tough period of time. We got to batten down the hatches. We're going to cut back on our workforce a little bit, control costs a little bit, but they're not going to resort to trying to liquidate their merchandise because then that sort of ruins that luxury sort of halo that that they've been able to enjoy for so long. Um, I was going to so, say that no that, Joseph A. Bank sales coming. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no holiday weekend sales. Well, I, I think that for investors, though, you look at that, and so I mean, it's it's obviously very very pessimistic today. Um, I mean, shares are trading around 17 times full year estimates uh, with the revised guidance that came out today. Now, this is a stock that you know in in. Better times when things are a bit more optimistic. That's a multiple that's more towards towards like 20, 21, 22, 23. Uh, and so, as bad as things sound today, I mean, these are the times when actually investors want to start looking at a business like Tiffany because this is again a very high quality business that's been managed very wisely. Um, and, and you know, management I think knows that one of their biggest advantages is the luxury halo that they've been able to maintain with that brand. And it sounds like they continue to do that, just kind of taking their lumps in difficult times. The little blue box helps. And that's just it. I mean, that's precisely I mean, all my kidding point. Aside, right there. this is this still remains a very strong brand. It carries a lot of sway. And I mean, as an investor, I don't own shares, but if if I ever saw this business going resorting to fire sales, liquidation sales, things like that, that's when my, that would be my first big red flag, and I'd be out of this thing, you know, as fast as possible because because that is, to my mind, really probably their greatest advantage. I was actually surprised to see that twenty five percent of their U.S. sales are attributed to. Tourists. Yeah. That oh, yeah. Me off guard. So yeah. that's not helping things either. No. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address from Chris Neihart or Nyhart. Sorry, Chris. Uh, he writes, wondering if you could please shed some light on the precious metals industry. I currently and continue to invest in the following stocks Silver Wheaton, Newmont Mining, Franco Nevada, and First Majestic. All of these companies have had to adjust their operations in order to remain competitive with the current. Precious metals prices. I believe silver and gold prices have bottomed, and these companies are positioned to excel with the increase in future metal prices. What are your thoughts with the industry 
and these companies. Precious metals, not something we spend a lot of time looking at, Taylor, but you've looked at this a little bit. Uh, yeah, Silver Wheaton is a company that we recommend in Stock Advisor Canada. It's a company I like. I've spoken with Randy Smallwood, their CEO, a couple of times, and streaming models. So they're not actually doing the mining, and I think that might be the best way to gain exposure. So you're not getting that direct. Um, exposure to the cost side of the business, you're not getting that direct side to the, to prices. Where Silver Wheaton has an all-in total cash cost of just over four dollars per silver ounce and and uh, three hundred eighty-six dollars per ounce of gold. So some significant margins there, and they can forecast that out with pretty good accuracy, five to ten years based on the contracts that they've got laid out. So you've got great visibility into the cost structure of the company. And uh, in times like this, they're not necessarily having to go off and lay up, lay off a bunch of employees because they only have a few hundred compared to thousands, um, tens of thousands that some of these miners have. So I, I like the fact that he's concentrated on those streamers um, in terms of metal exposure. Personally, that's as far as I would go. I would I wouldn't go out there and invest in a in a miner, or same thing that I look at oil and gas producers. Um, I look at precious metal producers the same way. Um, just too much direct exposure to a cyclical business. But I think Silver Wheaton, he's he's onto something there. And Franco Nevada is another streamer, not necessarily as big, um, but still entertains silver and gold. And I think they also have some oil uh, streaming as well. So a little bit more diversification there. Um, you look at some gold miners out there saying that. Production is at its peak right now, based on um, companies pulling back on capex due to a low price market over the last few years, and then just quality of gold that people are finding isn't worth mining for right now. So you could be seeing a supply peak for at least the next few years. So um, some people are looking at that as a long-term positive for gold prices. Question from Eric Small, who writes: I'm wanting to dip my toe in the waters of investing. I live in Pittsburgh home of many publicly traded companies, and I want to feature these local companies in my portfolio, is there an inherent risk of not diversifying my holdings by geography as well as business types? Interesting question. I never really thought about... I mean, we've talked about diversification a bunch of times, sure. and as we've said before, diversification comes in many forms. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of city-based geography. I'd certainly yeah. thought about it in terms of country-based geography, but I mean, let me just tick off a few of the names of publicly traded companies because, from an industry standpoint, you—I mean, yes, these are all Pittsburgh-based companies, but Alcoa, Dick's Sporting Goods, GlaxoSmithKline, PNC Financial, U.S. Steel, Westinghouse Electric—that's a pretty broad range of industries. But what are your thoughts to his question about Pittsburgh-centric companies? Sure, I mean, I think it's—it's it's a good question, just in the sort of the the bigger context of just diversity in general. And I think you know one of the things we enjoy here in the United States is is a fairly it's a country where we're free to kind of go wherever we want to go and and so I, I wouldn't sweat that you know type of diversity as much sort of the geogra geographical nature. I you mean, I, I could go with no, I don't think I would. I mean, I I'd look at something. I mean, I could go you know for go to Atlanta for example, and I could I could have a portfolio with Home Depot. UPS, Carter's, and Coca-Cola, all based out of Atlanta, and that would be a very diversified portfolio when you consider how these companies make their money. I mean, those are those are very well diversified companies that that make their money far beyond just Atlanta, just Georgia, and even just the United States in some cases. And so, I think that's where uh, you know that's where my my first sort of priority would come into play. Now, 
I mean, anything can happen, right? I mean, that that just who knows? And 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 there could be a situation where where you might not want to have all of your eggs in in one basket, even even when it comes to sort of geography or or a city in the United States. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's worth it's worth knowing where your businesses are located. But I mean, I also think it's really uh, I th- I think it's a neat idea to want to try to get as many of the local businesses in your portfolio as you can, because I mean. You are going to have sort of that boots on the ground, uh, sort of instant feedback, just kind of seeing what's going on. Typically speaking, I mean, recession in the United States is recession in the United States. I don't think you're going to see recession as much in one city versus another, you know, unless that city is particularly exposed to one industry that's really under fire. But, uh, but uh, you know, a good question, and, and certainly one where um, you know diversity is key in all of its forms. And I would even at some point. Even if even if my portfolio was all centralized in Atlanta or Pittsburgh, sure, I'd try to try to give the rest of the rest of the cities in the country some love. Why not? Well, it's a great point because we talk all the time about you're going to sleep better at night. You're going to generally do better with your investments the better you know the business is. And yeah. I think in Eric's case, part of that may just be, hey, look, when there is news affecting these companies. It's going to hit Pittsburgh first. We're going sure. to hear about it first, and and depending on how big your circle of friends and family is, you may know people working at these companies mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, it's it's also worth noting that even even with businesses being based in one particular city, uh, you know, when you consider how large many of those businesses that you ticked off uh, actually are, I mean, those businesses have have offices in in cities all over the United States as well. So so while a business may be based out of one particular city, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's tethered completely to the conditions in that city. I mean, you see a lot of insurers that sort of have their home base out of Connecticut, for example, but they're going to have you know they're going to have big big offices all over the country. So that's what I was saying. I was thinking insurance in Hartford, Connecticut, yeah. and I was thinking banks in Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and you're also limiting you're limiting yourself though if that's your first screen though. Yeah. So you know cities don't have nearly as many companies as. The the broad market does so uh, I wouldn't rely too heavily on that, but it, like the instant feedback is certainly a cool feature. Um, and if you're in a city big enough, as Pittsburgh does have a diverse group of companies that you mentioned, but it's a small, small, small subset. Yep. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.